Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the uh, craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. On the show today, we're fortunate to be speaking with a feature lit agent who has spent the past five years at APA. Before that, he worked in the legal profession at the Essex County DA's office and as a mediator. He studied business management at Bryant University and earned his JD at Barry Law. Oh, and he's also, which is super interesting, the founder and former manager of the Andover Shockers Independent Baseball team. Welcome to the show, Adam Perry. Hey, thank you for having me. No, it's great to have you. Um, we always like to ask, when did you decide that working in the entertainment industry was something that you were passionate about, and, and how did you get your start in the business? Well, first off, yeah, when I had just finished law school, I, w- I went to law school not wanting to be a traditional attorney. I thought that the, the kind of advanced degree was either that or an, or an MBA, and I thought this one would kind of serve me more um, for the kind of stuff I did want to do, but originally I wanted to be either a sports agent or work in upper management for a baseball organization. And I have a younger brother who's four years below me, and he started winning these college film festivals, this thing called Campus Movie Fest, uh, and kind of doing the rounds with him um, and meeting some managers and other people locally to L.A. uh, When we we went to like Vegas and New York and Boston uh, and L.A. and all over with with the circuit there, um, I met some people that said, well, man, you've got a good way with people. You seem to understand a lot about film. Um, why don't you try this? Because, you know, the creatives and those types need someone like you that has, comes at it from more, with a more business approach uh, that doesn't want to be them. I never wanted to be a writer or a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started meeting people out here, and I, I have a blast, and I, I'm glad that I did. Before we started recording, we were talking just a little bit about uh, your former career as a uh, manager of a baseball team and manager is obviously the head coach for those who may not be yeah. as sports inclined. Um, can you, and you mentioned something that I thought was very interesting. Uh, when I mentioned, Oh, it didn't seem as applicable, but it was super interesting. You had mentioned it was probably more applicable because of the fact that you dealt with so many different personalities. And that actually makes perfect sense. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that in terms of how working as an independent uh, baseball team manager, you know, manager of a baseball club with, you know, I don't know how yeah. many players on there on the team at the time, you know, 25, 30. Um, yeah, right about that. Yeah, how that sort of influenced and affected you and in, in, uh, in terms of your career now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, I was 18 when I kind of dove into that venture, <laughs> so I was probably a little over my head, but it all worked. And we took our lumps the first couple seasons, but then we ended up having one of the best teams in the league, which was really fun. But as, like, a, I guess the, the team, the founder, the CEO, the manager of that team, you, lots of the people interactions are very similar to what you do as an agent and what I did as a mediator. Like lots of it is, I think a lot of people hate agents because they have to say no a lot or because they think they're bulldogs or bullies or different things like that. Ultimately, I feel like the best agents are, are the best mediators in that. Like you know, mm. we have to keep we have to keep the client happy. We want to keep the executive happy. We want to keep the attorneys happy because uh, we want the best deal for our client. But at the same time. We want the studios to want to work with them again. We want the producers to want to work with them again. Uh, so ultimately, when you're running a baseball team, you did, you did lots of the same tasks. Like, I am the middleman between the, who, who plays in the game and who doesn't. Right. I'm dealing with the other coaches. I'm dealing with the umpires. You're dealing with the scheduling. You're dealing with people in the town. You're dealing with people at the colleges you rent the facilities from. You're dealing with fundraising and raising money. So you're really the in-between on everyone. And then, you know, time-wise... Uh, it took up a lot of time, but you're often scrambling. 
like just like in this business with meetings and, and putting together signing rooms before a signing meeting. Like you're doing a lot of this stuff last minute. You're scrambling to watch a movie. And it was very similar in that I would have to get a coach from the other team on the phone, make sure they were going to be at the game on time, make sure the umpires were going to be there, then make sure you have enough teams to field the lineup. So it was really just the people skills in that uh, with running the team and coaching the team that I think definitely cross over to this business. Right. Now, everyone thinks that once you get an agent, and I'm, when I say everyone, I mean newer uh, screenwriters and, and TV writers, but everyone thinks that once you get an agent, you're on easy street. Like at that point, you just get in line for your checks, and when you, the agent, right. sells, sells their script, they can collect their cash. And obviously, that's not the case. But what do you think yeah. is the biggest misconception of that sort of agent-client relationship that you'd like new writers to know and understand? I mean, you probably hit it. It's the fact that when you get an agent, you can do less work. Um, right. But really, that's where, that's where the work begins. I think a lot of these people, especially coming out of the grad schools, like whether it's the UCLA or USC grad program, they have this one great script, and they say, well, I got an agent now, and like, it's going to be much easier. Um, agents can only really connect the dots. They can put you in the right rooms. They can sell a good piece of material if you give them a good piece of material. Uh, but it's really on them to generate. And, and I mean, the more prolific writers and the ones that turn around pitches quicker are the ones that are working more often. Like, I have several of these writers that have been blacklist guys, you know, be it three years ago, four years ago, two years ago, and you can see where half of them kind of go one way. And, and they're all really good writers. Like, the level of writing is very similar, but the ones that are, are also really good in a room and the ones that write more are the ones that are working more. Right. Absolutely. Um... Other than great material, because obviously that's super important, what is the most important thing you look for in, in potential new clients? Uh, a unique voice is huge. Uh, if there's something that stands out that's different from what everyone else writes. Like I remember I was at a, uh, when I first came out here and I wanted to learn more about like the writer mentality, I think I went to one of, uh, I think it was Jonathan Nolan that was given a speech with like Zach Penn, it was one of those Q&A panels, and he said when young writers ask him what they should write about, it's always write what you're most passionate about because those scripts usually turn out the best. And I want something that – I like to look at things. Whether like One, obviously you want to see if you can sell it. But if you can't and it's a new voice, I'll definitely still take them on if I feel like it's the kind of script I could give to one of my pals as an executive and that they're going to want to give to one of their pals and they're going to want to give to one of their pals, kind of like the viral potential. Like mm -hmm. similar to if you were a, a director and you wanted to make something – put it up on YouTube, you want a short film that can go viral. I say the same thing with material. So one, it's, it's that special piece um, that I think will separate them from others. And you'd mentioned voice. And uh, we get asked this a lot. And so we always sort of deflect and ask uh, different reps. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you mean by voice? Like, obviously, if a writer doesn't know what that is, they probably don't haven't found it yet in themselves. But for, again, for writers who may have not found their voice, what does that actually mean? I, I think it's just something unique. It's something special. And it's something that they have that others don't. So, like, what are they passionate about? What drives them? Because I find when there's, when there's a passion and there's a voice behind, I'm using the same word you're asking me about, sure. when there's a certain passion around it and when it's unique to them, I think people... People can feel that vibe. People get that. Uh, it becomes personal, and those are the ones that stand out. Right. Um, you're a feature-lit agent, meaning you technically represent screenwriters and filmmakers who create feature-length films, studio films, independent films, things like that. Um, Correct. Today, there seems to be sort of a blending between feature and television 
with writers and filmmakers often switching between the two. And I know in an agency like APA, a full-service agency, where there are film and TV agents uh, that work in, in concert as a team, which wasn't the, um, which obviously helps uh, a, a writer's career because they can do both. Um, but mm-hmm. most writers and director, directors 10 years ago, maybe even five or six years ago, didn't tend to do that as much. Um, how important is it for new screenwriters and or TV writers be prepared and interested uh, to work in either or both mediums? Maybe you can speak a little bit about that, the, the feature and TV landscape and what a newer writer can expect um, in terms Absolutely. of working with an agent for film and TV. Yeah, I think it's extremely important. I think that, you know, 80, 90% of who we sign, we want them working in both spaces, and they are working in both spaces. There's always those certain people that just like one or the other. Um, And though I am a traditional, you know, motion picture lit agent, I have a ton of clients working in television. Most of them have TV point agents. Uh, A couple don't. Um, But it is essential kind of now that that you have your head in both spaces. I mean, you see... TV now, it's the golden age. Yeah. Uh, there's so much good stuff. There's, what, 65, 70 buyers. Um, so there's just more opportunity. And I think TV is also writer-driven, where film is still director-driven. Um, so it really is a chance for these writers to shine in the TV space. And plus, so many of the rooms we put them in uh, you know, originated as motion picture companies and now all have TV divisions. So, like, the best thing for us, if we send someone in a room for just a general meeting and they have a couple feature ideas, a couple TV ideas, maybe a book that they're attached to, and they have a wide variety of things to talk about, because when you go in those rooms, you don't always know what you're going to come out with. Um, And I think the ones with the backpack full of ideas are the ones that are the most successful. And so many of the companies now are just split, that they have TV and film divisions. And the film business has become... I'm not going to say slow and grueling, but it's more slow and grueling than television. Uh, the studios make make less and less movies unless it's one of those big superhero movies. Uh, that being said, there's a lot of new independent financiers that are making really, really good quality content, and we find those people. Uh, but ultimately, you should play in both spaces. And, and what I find a lot of people, they get the satisfaction from the TV that they don't get in film where they'll write an original spec and it'll take a year to make a deal on it. They're rewriting it for another year, and then it, it's in production you know, three years later, where the TV side, it's pretty plug and play. Like they know what they're looking for and they're going to hire someone to pump out a draft. Uh, and it happens much quicker. And then you get, you know, either the network picks it up or it doesn't. Um, so you get kind of an end resolve that you don't always get in films that are kicking around for a long time. Right. Um, now for somebody who has dreamt of being a feature writer, meaning writing films as opposed to television, and they have a number of, of screenplays that they've written do you think, and I guess I, I'm sort of just doing, asking this in a general sense, obviously every case, specific case would be different, yeah. but for somebody like that who is looking for an agent representation, manager probably first, uh, would it behoove them to start working on some TV stuff now, or is that something that once they sign, because maybe they sign with a manager and they get an agent, they get a little bit of heat, uh, on uh, a feature spec or something like that, that they can kind of transition to with representation, with guidance, or is that something just, hey, you need to have a, a TV pilot or something right away? No, I, it could definitely go either way. Like sometimes we sign TV people that have a great pilot and we transition them into film. And sometimes we sign, you know, someone from film with just a good feature and we'll coach them through the pilot process. Uh, like you said, agents or managers in that, in that situation. Um, so it could absolutely go either way. There's no pressure to have to have it. 
Uh, I would advise, like, don't spec an already existing show anymore because no one wants to read that stuff. Right. Uh, the way you get signed, the way you get jobs is always, for the most part, 99% of the time with original material. Right. Unless you're applying to a fellowship. Yeah, don't waste your time writing a, a spec of an existing show. Exactly. If it's, if it's specific for something like that and you need to crank one out, of course. Um, but if you're looking for representation specifically, uh, usually those are a waste of time. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I've heard it said before uh, that... Obviously, it's not easy for either film or TV writers to break a, a film, a screenwriter, or to break a TV writer. It's incredibly difficult to do either. But I've heard that it's actually easier, quote, in quotation marks, to break a feature writer than a TV writer because TV is so sort of tight-knit. But once you're working yep. as a TV writer, it's easier to get more consistent work as a TV writer once you've sort of made that jump into the professional ranks. Is that... Yeah, I would say... I would say that's pretty accurate. I think once you're in the TV world, they hire you over and over again. Um, it definitely helps nowadays if you're uh, diverse, if you're a female. Um, I think what happens, you know, for better or worse, what has happened is a lots of the uh, showrunners uh, and the people that run these shows are white males that have been around for a while, so they need to fill in a lot of the positions below them um, with females and, and diverse candidates, which is a good thing. Uh, on the film side, I, I think they're not... They're, they're catching up, but it's not quite at that point yet. I think anyone can break into film. It is. I, I think it's easier to break into film because you get that one viral script, you get it out there, all the execs send it to each other, agents, managers blast it to 100-plus people, uh, and then you're off and running. And it's also, I think, a little bit easier to pivot from the film space into the TV space than it is from TV to film because, like, We'll get a lot of clients hired off that don't even have a pilot. They just have an awesome feature, mm -hmm. and they love the voice. I think TV still, though TV is uh, there's more money in it right now, though it moves quicker, and though it's the golden age of TV, the t you'll notice lots of the TV execs came from the feature world, and I think they still look at the feature world with a certain element of prestige. Uh, so if you, if you sell something there to one of the big studios or if you have a cool director on board, I mean, they're hiring all those same people for TV. Um, so it is, I'd say, slightly easier to go from film to TV than TV to film. Uh, but you can do it both ways. Right. Um, now, if somebody does have uh, what they feel is a strong spec feature and mm -hmm. a strong TV pilot, and they sign mm -hmm. with a, a rep, an agent or manager, would you? Yeah. Would they focus primarily, again, this still generalization because I'm sure every situation is yeah. different, but would you focus yep. for primarily on the strongest piece of material, whether their feature or TV is, uh, pilot was stronger, and, and develop the other side as a secondary focus? Or is it really more about the interests of the client, where their passion lies in features or television, and, and that allow that to take most precedent? I think we, I mean, lots of them, their passion is equal. So I think generalizing, like you said, you're 100% correct. I think whatever piece of material is the strongest, like the whole team, like say we sign someone here and we have two MP agents and two TV agents and there's a manager, so suddenly there's five people weighing in. Uh, you know, we're going to read both of those pieces and decide what we feel as a group is the strongest and the best kind of entry point, and we would lead with that uh, and then feed the other ones through after. Cool. And how much material is ideal? Obviously, one script is usually uh strong script ready script is not usually ideal 
uh, it can work, but it's not usually ideal. But then at the same time, uh, if somebody sends you, oh, you sign with them and they don't know what their best material is and they have 27 scripts, it's sort of a, a red flag kind of thing. But what yeah, is an ideal amount? Yeah, a little overwhelming. Um, uh, uh, what is ideal? Like, what would you have an ideal client? Somebody's a manager calls you up and says, I got this great writer and you read a, 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 a sample piece. Whether and this it's is a, someone breaking in, right? This is someone breaking in, not someone already correct. established. Correct. Yes, yes. Yep. Um, and I mean, honestly, I think you hit it with your last question. I think if they have one really good feature and one really good TV sample, then they could be off and running. Cool. Uh, I think that is ideal. Of course, if they have two of each and they're all so good that uh, we're you know, debating and hemming and hawing on which one to take out first, uh, that's a great problem to have. Right. It's more rare. <laughs> Right, high class problems. Um, high class problems, exactly. Now, the general consensus amongst reps we've spoken to seem to agree that a, a feature writer, you have a little flexibility in terms of whether or not they live somewhere outside of Los Angeles to start. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, it's mm -hmm. it's more difficult because they need to fly in at least a, a few times a year to take meetings and things. Um, and we all know how yep. meetings can go; they can be canceled at the very last minute, uh, things like that. So it, it can be a difficult. But it's not impossible to overcome if the writing is that strong and the writer is that great. But for aspiring television right. writers, that's not usually the case. It's it's very difficult because the writers' rooms are all out here. I mean, a few are in New York, but mostly they're in Los Angeles. Even the, the shows shoot elsewhere. Uh, all the meetings take place here as well. Can you weigh in on aspiring screenwriters and TV writers not living in Los Angeles about how important it really is? It's just tougher. It's just tougher if you're not here. I'll say anyone that's truly serious about it. Uh, and that wants to make a living doing it, you should be out here to break into it. And it's the little subtleties that you don't even think about as far as the networks you're plugged into, the coffee shops you're writing at. You know, there's always someone else, like who you're going to meet. Like you're out at a bar one night, you're out at a gathering, you're at a, a dinner at a friend's house. Like there's always like-minded uh, entertainment industry-focused people you meet with. Uh, so you, the opportunity is just plentiful if you are here. Uh, and also... Um, like you said, if you have a great script rather than flying in multiple times a year and taking these meetings, it's hugely important when you're trying to staff on shows, when you're trying to get an assignment, because it's one thing to be on Skype, which is, has helped things a lot, and, and it's helped people from a distance still being able to get jobs. But when you're in a room and you get the people, the executives to like you and you have a warm relationship and you have a good back and forth like that, it's, it's pretty much irreplaceable. So you can do it when you're not here, uh, but you're at a disadvantage to the people that are. Right. Now, what is the process? I don't know if you have any clients that aren't in Los Angeles currently or in the past. Sure. What's the process of a writer who doesn't live in Los Angeles in terms of taking meetings, networking, all that kind of thing? Like, uh, how do you set yeah, that up so, and, and how does that whole say, process so, go? Yeah, totally. So say I sign someone uh, that has a brand new script. Uh, we think it's one of those ones with viral type potential. We can sell it, etc. Um, if they're not living here, what I would do is I would want to talk to them first and say, hey, when can you come out here? Like, if we go out with your script in February, can you come out in March? Because you want to capitalize while you have the momentum and while the script is hot because these executives get sent a lot of material, uh, and you want them to do the meetings while it's still fresh in their mind, while they're still excited about it. Uh, and, you, you know, you, when the momentum is on your side, there's essential leverage you have that you don't otherwise. Um, so I would plan about a month or a few weeks in advance of when they want to make their trip, and that's when I would blanket the town with their script. Uh, and by blanket, I mean, you know, anywhere usually from 60 to 100 people. 
uh, I'll send it to, and then, you know, a few aren't going to like it. Hopefully the majority of them do. Hopefully it sells, and then you get a press announcement and, and that kind of thing, and that gives you a whole other um, slew, of mo- slew of momentum. Um, but that's traditionally the process. So you sign them, you figure out when they can come out here, you take the script out. If the script goes as planned and you get a lot of good traction off it, whether you sell it, whether you sell it or not, uh, you know, they come out a few weeks later. Um, I usually ask them to block at least one week. Some have been doing two lately, uh, which has been great. Um, and then you stack them with, you know, three, four, five, sometimes six meetings a day. Uh, and then I coach them at that point to make sure you take notes on your meetings because, you know, all the executives are going to have different ideas and different things that they pitch to you. You're going to pitch them different things. Uh, and then of those, you know, 40 meetings you take, 20 go extremely well. Uh, and of those 20, you know, five or six have actual pieces of business to focus on. Um, and then we, we, we focus on those. Cool. Obviously, a lot of writers have both an agent and a manager. It usually starts with a manager since they have smaller client lists and, you know, really more about uh, or also about developing writers and material and that kind of thing. Whereas uh, agents really focus a lot more on uh, selling the writer and selling the material. Um, what, how do you like to work with managers like in an ideal situation for me the perfect manager is someone that's just really good with development Mm -hmm. um because we can if you're a capable agent uh you can do the selling you can do the selling you have the contacts Uh, it's always good to have a partner in that aspect too Um, but for me the most important like what i'm not great at and i'll put it right out there is when i read a script i'm pretty good at giving a set of notes uh, sometimes I'm even fairly decent at giving a second set of notes when I read it for a second time. Once it gets to a third or fourth read, kind of like the development execs have to do all the time and the managers, uh, I just kind of lose track of what was the first one, what was the second one. It's just not how my brain was wired. Uh, so having someone to help with those drafts and bring me a script that's truly ready or very close to ready, to me that is the most important thing. And then someone just like-minded as far as like having – you know, because, again, our main, jobs are booking, our, our main job is to book and find jobs and to explore opportunities um, and to source opportunities for our clients. But at the end of the day, I definitely take a bit of a managerial approach, and I'm very much involved in my clients' lives and big-picture strategy. So it's very important that you and the manager are on the same page in what you're trying to do with the client's career. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, expanding on the agent-manager sort of relationship, We've had a number of managers weigh in on the discussion, but I, I don't believe I've ever asked a lit agent this, and I sort of, sort of wanted to get your perspective on it. Obviously, yeah. agents don't take producer credit on their clients' projects, but managers can and often do. When yeah. do you feel it can become a conflict of interests, and how can newer writers protect themselves if they feel that, that it might be a conflict? And do you you as the agent, do you ever step in or do you ever have conversations about it with the client and or even the manager? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. We've had to step in, I've had to step in numerous times. Uh, I think there are certain managers that take advantage uh, of their clients, especially some of the green ones that that don't necessarily know better. Um, When I think, you know, listen, if a manager brings the project to the table, if it's a book they control, or if they've been very influential in the development process, or if they bring packageable elements to the table, or if they already have kind of a name behind them that means something in either the TV or film space, I think it makes sense for them to produce, and I, and I totally get that. I think when a client develops something on their own, or even with the manager, and then the manager at the very last second says, oh, by the way, I'm attached to produce this, 
Uh, I think sometimes that's where it, it gets kind of murky. Um, and that's where we've had to step in and sometimes advise clients, like, listen, it is not in your best interest to have the manager produce here uh, because sometimes they're dead weight. And so it, it's so case by case, uh, but it is something that now more than ever agents have to monitor. Um, and, and if managers aren't upfront with us and tell us before they approach the client about it, I think that's a bit shady. Um, mm-hmm. It should be a decision that I think the reps should make kind of in conjunction with one another uh, because what you want is if a manager is going to go ask their client if they can produce something, uh, they're going to want to have the agent, you know, locked arms supporting that. Uh, if not, it, it causes trouble. Right. Um, did, that, did that answer your question? It did. It, it did. Um, actually, quite well. So, because um, it was really, I wanted to get your perspective on it because technically, a manager and agent are supposed to have sort of the same goal in terms of working for the client, but in some situation, agents generally do because they don't have ulterior motives because they can't by law, you know, by state law, you can't be a producer. Whereas managers, some of them can sort of toe that line between, again, what's shady and what's actually on the table, on the board uh, versus what's right for the client. So. And the one good thing, listen, the one good thing about, well, not not the one good thing, but a good thing about managers uh, that produce and about, uh, you know, agents like agencies. They don't talk about a lot. Agencies take packaging fees, and sure. and agencies take uh, on television shows, on films, etc. And the one good thing for the client in both sides, or one of the good things for the clients in both sides, is that it does save them on the commission. Right. So if an agency is going to take a package on a show up to a certain price, that you know, like you know, clients can save hundreds of thousands of dollars on that. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing on the TV thing, where the manager is making money producing the show or producing the movie. Uh, they can forfeit the 10% commission. So that is a positive. Uh, but, but absolutely, hear you loud and clear, it can definitely, it can definitely lead to some dicey situations. Yeah, and, and speaking of commission for, uh, again, newer writers not familiar with it, um, agents get 10%, managers get 10%, although I've heard of some managers even going to 15%, depending, although that seems to be less and less the case. Um, yeah. I just wanted to sort of throw that out there. Um, yeah, no, and, and by the way, usually that's kind of a red flag. If you see a manager charging 15%, uh, they're probably not at one of the more reputable places. Right. Um, we do have a few listener questions I wanted to throw your way quickly. Um, yeah. Given the increasing number of on-demand streaming platforms, is there a new market for what used to be called a miniseries, uh, a contained standalone, that's all folks, four to, episodes, four to eight episode story? Yes and no. Uh, I mean, in the digital platforms and just TV now and the cable networks and all those places are definitely open to limited series. I still think that ultimately if it could be a serialized show, there's just more money to be had if it can go season after season. Um, so think that way first. But yes, if you've got the right idea, lots of historical-based stuff. Uh, of course, we've seen the success with uh, lots of the recent ones like the OJ one and, and the others. Uh, definitely there's room for it. Uh, I still don't think it's where you should be thinking first. Cool. Is there a better or worse time of the year to be querying reps? Like, should I not send queries around the holidays, or is it better because they're not as busy with work? I mean, I don't think it really matters. I think it doesn't matter. It's just a matter of getting their attention at the right time. Like, I very rarely respond to any queries, and that's just because of volume. Um, you have so much being sent to you uh, from, you know, client referrals and uh, people that are unhappy with other agents or managers are sending stuff to you that. There's really never a great time. Um, more so, you should definitely send them to the managers. And I think it just depends. It's right time, right place, right day. It like, depends what side of the bed that guy or girl woke up on. It depends what's going on with their schedule. Um, if they're overwhelmed, they're not going to look at it. If it it's, it's really luck. 
I think that's the only thing. Right. And here's the last one. Um, what happens yeah. when a client doesn't quite nail the assignment, meaning it's on time, but the producer does not really like the draft or feel that needs more work? Well, uh, that's completely case dependent. Um, that, you know, listen, that's when the reps get in there and they try to figure out, all right, what are they missing? Uh, what did you, what did you want that it's very much immediate? What did you want that they didn't deliver? Uh, and you got to hear out both sides. You got to hear the producer, you got to hear the studio, you got to hear the client. Um, and the goal is to keep them on the project and get another crack at it. Um, if they swing and miss so badly and they're not on the same page, uh, then, you know, you, you convince you talk to the client and say, look, they don't want to bring it back. Let's, let's, Let's not dwell on it. Let's find the next one. Um, and at the same time, you want to keep the relationship with the executive great and, and you let them know that you understand. Uh, there are definitely more extreme cases where one side or the other is, is crazy or obnoxious or goes back on everything they've said. Um, and you handle those cases you know, specific to the case. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's, you pivot and move on. Right. Thanks for coming on and talking with us today, Adam. Much appreciated. Uh, my, my pleasure. Um, and be sure to check us out at scriptsandscribes.com. And thank you all for listening.